begun us for our evening worship services. We've begun a series of messages from 1 Corinthians. We're going to uh, pick up our reading. We left off last time uh, at verse 5 of chapter 2, so we'll pick it up with verse 6, and then we'll continue through verse 16. Yet among the mature, we do impart wisdom, although it is not a wisdom of this age or of the rulers of this age who are doomed to pass away. But we impart a secret and hidden wisdom of God, which God decreed before the ages for our glory. None of the rulers of this age understood this, for if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. But as it is written, what no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined, what God has prepared for those who love him. These things God has revealed to us through the Spirit. For the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. For who knows a person's thoughts except the spirit of that person which is in him? So also no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. Now we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given us by God. And we impart this in words not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the Spirit, interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him, and he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. The spiritual person judges all things, but is himself to be judged by no one. For who has understood the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. This evening I'd like to begin with a question, and it may seem uh, that it's a rhetorical question, an easy one to answer, but I'd like for you to still think what your answer would be. Suppose uh, you were going to travel by airplane, and you had the opportunity to sit in any seat in the entire airplane, which one would you choose? First class, absolutely. I looked it up and it says that first class you have significantly more legroom. The seats actually do fully recline. There's a variety of meal choices 
And some airlines even serve those meals on good china. There are free drinks and a variety of different options. The entertainment screen is much larger. And then, of course, all of the personal attention that you get from the flight staff. So first class puts you first. Now, I found out something interesting recently. For passengers who were on the maiden voyage of the Titanic, the first-class ticket provided more than just the extra-large room and the extra comforts and amenities that came with traveling first-class. It literally was the difference between life and death. Travelers who were in first class were a priority. And so they were the ones given access to the very limited amount of lifeboats that were available. Almost all of the first class travelers survived. Now in contrast to that, to situations where we put me first, there are instances where people will put others first. And one example came to my mind, February 3, 1943. Four chaplains were on a boat that was sinking. They gave up their own life jackets for other servicemen. They were veterans, they were older, they knew that the younger members had families and children, and so they gave up their life jacket. They were aboard the USS Dorchester, which sank in 34-degree waters in the North Atlantic. So there's the opposite. First class, me first, putting others first. As we looked at our series in 1 Corinthians, as we began it, Paul is addressing a situation in the, the church of Corinth that was disastrous. There was, it was a situation where there were these different groups competing against each other. If you recall, some said that they followed Paul, some Apollos, some Cephas, and then, of course, there were those that claimed that they were the true followers of Jesus. But all of them were elevating themselves and not thinking about others and not experiencing unity within the body of Christ. So Paul's response is that truly the body of Christ, the church, cannot be divided. Last week, we looked at a passage where Paul reminds his readers in verse 26, not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were influential. Not many of you were of noble birth. So Paul is trying to get them back to realizing that it truly is not all about them, but rather it's about Jesus Christ. So the believers in this city of Corinth were 
struggling with allegiance to, in some cases, human philosophies. That was quite common during that time. Pastor David mentioned that. Many would go around and proclaim uh, different uh, ways of viewing things, different philosophies, different perspectives. And a lot of those were actually then being carried into the church itself and was beginning to affect it. This human wisdom was literally preventing the believers from divine wisdom, from spiritual growth, and ultimately from experiencing unity. A deep intellectual pride had become rooted and ingrained within the Corinthian church. And as we see, we've seen before, but we'll see it throughout uh, this particular letter, it was about to rip the whole church community apart. This evening, as we look a little closer at our passage in 1 Corinthians, I'm going to be looking at basically two main points. One of them is that true wisdom cannot be discovered by human intellect. In and of ourselves as humans, as human beings, our reasoning ability, our rationality, our intellect cannot understand God's wisdom. And then the second point follows, that true wisdom is divinely revealed. So then, first of all, it's impossible for us as human beings to understand who God is as a divine being. Paul writes in verse 7, But we impart a secret and hidden wisdom of God, which God decreed before the ages for our glory. So it's speaking of a secret and hidden wisdom. That word that's used for secret is the Greek word mysterion, from which we get our word mystery. But in this case, it refers to a fact or a truth that is revealed something that cannot uh, be unlocked by human understanding or intellectual ability. And so what Paul is saying is that as human beings, we cannot penetrate into heaven in order to discover and understand God and his word. So that word, secret or mysterion, does not refer to what we think, something that's a puzzle or uh, hard or difficult or strange, but rather something that's undisclosed, held in secret. And so God holds his wisdom as a secret in the sense of there are those who will not be able to understand the truth of what Scripture says. Jesus says in Matthew chapter 11, 25 and 26, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and the learned, and you've revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for this was your good pleasure. This goes back to chapter 1. 
where it reads that the foolishness of, or the people of this age see the gospel as foolishness. They don't understand. And those that are learned cannot understand, but God will reveal it even to little children. In fact, Paul quotes from Isaiah 64 verse 4 when he writes in verse 9, What no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined, what God has prepared for those who love him. So this passage is addressing the wisdom of God, which God has already prepared for believers to understand. And his point being that naturally our eyes, our ears, our hearts cannot fully know or comprehend God's wisdom. Now in my research I discovered that in the early church there were actually two different kinds of what they called wisdom or instruction. Again, two Greek words. The first one was kerygma, and that was an announcement or a proclamation that was made by a royal person, like a king. And so when it's referred to the faith, the Christian faith, kerygma would be the basics of the Christian faith, the teaching of Christ's life and death and resurrection ascension and second coming. But there was another kind of teaching or information, and this was called didache, which was taking it to the next level. What are the implications? It's expounding those basic aspects of the Christian faith and then applying them on a deeper level. So that would be like a second stage or level for those who had already been instructed in just the basics. And throughout the whole of this process of being instructed and learning, Paul is convicted, and that's what he's conveying to his readers, that human wisdom stands in the way of us being able to move beyond basic truths to understand deep and eternal truths. Paul has written earlier in the first chapter, verses 18 and then 20 and 21, for the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. Where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom, it pleased God through the folly that the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. A certain scholar by the name of William Barclay, presents what he thinks is a helpful way of understanding this. He says, you know, in societies, there are certain ceremonies and things that are done that we, as Americans, don't understand. So, for example, if we're, if we're watching the news and we see this 
festival being celebrated in China where people are dancing down the street and they're dressed in masks and they look like big long creatures going down the street. We wouldn't know what that was or what it represents. And Barclay says that as he reads this, he sees that Paul, speaking to believers, is revealing those biblical truths to them that others, the world, may not understand. This is what he writes. This special teaching is not the product of the intellectual ability of men. It is a gift of God. All of our discoveries are not so much what our minds have found out as what God has told us. This by no means frees us from the responsibility of human effort. Only the student who works can make himself fit to then receive the riches of the mind of the great teacher. Referring to Christ. Rationalism cannot reason out or understand the mystery or the secrecy of God's truth. God's truth is not something that's observable. Any human sense struggles to understand. That leads us secondly, true wisdom is divinely revealed. And what that says is what you and I are unable to understand when we read the Bible, God accomplishes through the working of the Holy Spirit. And as we look at the final few verses, verses 10 through 16, he does it in three different ways. Verses 10 and 11, through revelation. Verses 12 and 13, by inspiration. And then verses 14 through 16, by illumination. So let's look at those very briefly. First of all, revelation. What that means is God's Holy Spirit is an agent of transmission and communication of the Word of God. And why is that? It's because He knows the mind of God perfectly. We're told that in verse 10. It says, These things God has revealed to us through the Spirit, for the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. That's why we can say with conviction, the Holy Spirit is the divine author of the Bible, God's Word. When we read God's truth, the Holy Spirit is the one that reveals it to us. And the Holy Spirit is uniquely qualified for that task. And we're told that's because God's own Spirit knows the depths of who God is and His thoughts. In verse, the last part of verses 10 and then 11 it says, For the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. For who knows a person's thoughts except the Spirit of that person which is in him? So also no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. So the Holy Spirit reveals because the Holy Spirit knows 
God's word and truth. Second, the Holy Spirit is active in inspiration. That phrase, the inspiration of Scripture, is our belief as Reformed believers that the Bible is completely authoritative. That the words that we see printed on the pages of Scripture truly are the words of God, the words that God spoke. In other words, this is not just the recording of human ideas and human interpretations, but it is a recording of the words that God gave to those human authors. Now, there are some of the more liberal interpreters that suggest that as we're reading the Bible, God's word is kind of hidden in the background behind the human words. But that's not the truth. That's not the case. We believe in what's called organic inspiration, that the Spirit of God used words that were familiar and comfortable for the human writers, but that he was the one who selected what was to be conveyed and also arranged them in the perfect order in which he wanted. In verse 13, it says, And we impart this in words not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the Spirit, interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. And so we see it is the Spirit of God then that is at work doing this. Third, the Spirit is active in illumination. Believe it or not, it's possible to read the Bible and then not to fully understand what it's saying and what the implications are. It's possible to even study the Bible for many years, maybe even memorize portions of it and still not truly understand it. We know that because in the Old Testament there were the scribes and the Pharisees who were experts in what God's Word said. They were trained and yet they missed the most central message, that of the Messiah, Jesus Christ, that he came, that he lived amongst them. Martin Luther made this quote, the Bible cannot be understood simply by study or by human talent. You must rely on the influence of the Holy Spirit and listen to how he describes us apart from the Holy Spirit. Man is like a pillar of salt, like Lot's wife. He's like a log or a stone. He is a lifeless statue which uses neither eyes nor mouth, neither senses nor heart. But then he goes on to say, unless he is enlightened, converted, and regenerated by the Holy Spirit. So again, the point is this. God must open the eyes of our understanding before we can truly know and rightly interpret His truth. All Christians, all believers, have that ability 
to rightly appraise the Word of God because of the power and the work of the Holy Spirit. That's why we're told to have the mind of Jesus Christ. And Paul says the wisdom of Christ is foolishness to the world around us. And we see that. We see Christians who are mocked, Christians who are ridiculed all over this world, even those that give up their lives, those who are martyrs for their faith. We know that the Christian life is not easy, that there will be sacrifices, there will be hardships. So Paul is speaking to these people in the city of Corinth, And basically he's saying to them, the only person who is truly able to receive Christ to be uh, filled by the Spirit of God is the one who truly relies and submits to the leading of the Spirit in order to understand. The believer who sets his mind on spiritual things and through the power of the Spirit are able then to understand the deeper things of God. The natural person cannot know the things of God. So Paul's trying to show to these believers in the city of Corinth and the church that if you are truly connected to God, God through the Holy Spirit will help you to understand His Word. When we read something from the Word of God, we can use other Scripture references and passages. And it is then the Holy Spirit that ultimately guides us and keeps us from error. So the church in Corinth had not been cultivating that perspective. They were listening to all of the different philosophies and teachings that were being spread around the town. They had drifted away from spiritual matters. They had instead migrated toward trying to work out and solve everything through human wisdom. And it was dividing the church. As we look at this passage and as we continue in our study of 1 Corinthians, We need to focus upon God and allow Him to lead us and guide us as a church in His Word, in His truth, so that we can follow Him completely. Let's pray. Our Father in Heaven, we thank You. As we read this passage written by Paul through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit to those in Corinth who were putting themselves first, who were elevating themselves and thinking that they had all of the right answers and everyone else didn't. He is telling them that they will make no progress. They will not be able to be reconciled and to be united unless they submit to your wisdom as it is revealed and illuminated and inspired 
through the working of the Holy Spirit. And the same is true for us and for the church today. Lord, there are many uh, different ways that people seek to interpret. But we need to interpret Scripture through Scripture and to submit prayerfully to your leading, to your guiding. We thank you, Lord, for opportunities to study your word and then to be able to present that truth with conviction, with confidence, because it is your word. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.